want to invite you for the first time in several weeks to open up Luke's Gospel as we come now to the end of Luke chapter 4. And since it's been about four weeks since we've been in Luke's Gospel together, just a, a reminder of where we find ourselves at this point. It's in chapter 4 that Luke tells us about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, where essentially we have the devil who is questioning the authority of Christ. He, he challenges this authority of Jesus. He asks Jesus to, to prove himself. If you are the Son of God, Satan says, then, then do this and do this. It is a, a challenge to the authority of the one who has all authority. And then we see that authority not just challenged, but from there Luke takes us to Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus, where we see Christ's authority rejected a clear rejection of Jesus by uh, those who he would have grown up with, those who would have known him as a child. But when he teaches in the synagogue and makes a, a clear statement about his authority, about who he is, that he indeed is the fulfillment of God's word, the Messiah, well, they, they reject Christ, they reject his authority, they even seek to, to end his life. But uh, God saves him, his time to be a sacrifice has not yet come. And so and now at the end of chapter 4, Luke takes us to several scenes of accounts that, that now make clear statements of Christ's authority. This authority that was questioned, that was rejected. Uh, Luke helps us to see clearly that Jesus indeed is the one who possesses authority. And he does it by helping us to see his authority when it comes to teaching and preaching, his authority when it comes to dealing with the demonic realm, his authority even over sickness, and his healing of those who had all kinds of diseases and illnesses. And the question ultimately for us as we consider these things and consider the authority of Jesus is, is he your authority and my authority today? Are we submitting ourselves to Christ and his word? Are, are we living in a way where Christ indeed is king, and is on the throne of our lives, where he is supreme, and we bow our knee to him? That's a question for us to consider as we walk through now Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. Hopefully you found your way there in your copy of God's word. And so now I invite you to stand together if you're able, out of reverence for God's word, as I read today's passage for us. Remember, this is what Luke, the doctor, writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, And when he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority, and in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For what authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. 
And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had uh, excuse me, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. And he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word which clearly shows us here the authority of our Lord Jesus. I, I pray, God, that we would live under that authority. And that we would not only see it and recognize, but that we would submit to the authority of Christ that is clearly presented to us now in your word. So help us to, to better understand what's being said here about the authority of Jesus. And Lord, help us to repent of sin, to, to trust in Christ, to walk by faith and not by sight. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When we talk about authority, really authority of any kind, we see a, a growing struggle in our, our world and in our culture today. When we see, for example, as we look around, the struggle people have with, with civil authority, as we see so many who disregard the law and have a disdain even for those who are tasked with enforcing the law. Uh, we see at times a struggle with authority in all types of places in our community. For example, even in, in schools, we can see that, that, that student-teacher relationship, a struggle at times with a students who have no regard for the authority of the teacher or really for anyone seeking to influence them or teach them. And we see the struggle all kinds of places out there, and it's a struggle that's in here as well. Uh, because it's a struggle that's not just a, a changing, growing struggle in our world and in our culture. It's a struggle that goes all the way back to the garden. It's a struggle that we see in Adam and Eve. It's a struggle where when God gave them as their authority, instruction, and command, they, they disregarded God's authority. That they rebelled against His authority. And friends, we've been rebelling ever since. Now, I was reminded of this not too long ago as I was reading the account of a, a parents who were dealing with a, a stubborn and rebellious child, a young boy who was very restless. They had trouble getting him just to, to sit down, especially when it became mealtime. Hey, he was always running around. He's always getting into things. His mom and dad were always saying, come here, it's just time for you to sit. And so one day they sat him down or tried to. They explained to him how how. God was an authority, how God had given them authority, how they were authorities in his life, how he needed to honor that authority, respect that authority. And so the next day at dinner time comes around, the boy's running all around. The dad says, come over here and sit down. Come over here and sit down. Finally, 
the boy sits down, kind of crosses his arms and looks at the parents and says, I want you to know, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm running around on the inside. <laughs> well, we hear that, and it's, it's humorous, but isn't that true of us as well at times? Well, we have this ability to, to externally conform. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're, you're here and you're singing and you're giving and you're, you're listening, but on the inside, there's rebellion there. there there's stubbornness there. And maybe you're willing to follow the Lord just so far, but at some point, you demand to be the one in charge, just like at times I demand to be the one in charge, because we all wrestle with the same thing. God says we're born with this. That this sin nature, that this nature of rebellion, it makes us look at authority and push back against it. And it's certainly troublesome when we consider how we treat civil authority and other authorities. But friends, it'll cost us our soul when we consider how we respond to the authority of God and His Word in our lives. And so as we come to the end of Luke chapter 4 this morning, I really want us to consider how, how are we responding to the authority of God? Because God is so gracious. Hey, he's so merciful. We, we've sung of his, his mercy and grace this morning because over and over again, he extends to us the opportunity to come under his authority. Over and over again in our rebellion, he, he invites us to come. And so let's come now to his word and let's consider what we learned here about the authority we see in Jesus and the specific ways we see the authority of Jesus as Luke gives us now this account. It begins with the first point I'll put there in your notes. We see that Jesus teaches and preaches with authority. He taught and he preached with authority. Notice again what we read there in verse 31 and 32. It says, Jesus went down to Capernaum a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So this is what we've seen already of Jesus. This is what we saw at Nazareth when he was rejected. On the Sabbath day, he would go and he would teach. Many uh, visiting rabbis would come into the synagogues and they would teach. Jesus is doing this. And the scripture tells us they were astonished at his teaching. Now, the, the word there for astonished means they were, they were filled with amazement. They were overwhelmed. And this wasn't just because uh, Jesus was a, a better preacher than the last guy that had the synagogue, although I'm sure he was. <laughs> that this wasn't just the, the guest preacher coming one Sunday, and, and he was so much better than the regular preacher that, that everybody's just astonished and talking about, man, wasn't he great? <laughs> no, Luke tells us here very clearly why it is they were astonished. It was because his word possessed authority. You see, they, they were used to others teaching them and, and preaching to them, but, but they weren't used to one speaking with this type of authority. They were used to their, their teachers, their rabbis who would come and would, would refer to others. They'd refer to other rabbis. They would say, you know, remember what so-and-so says. So-and-so said this. They were used to the teaching of the prophets where the, the, the prophets would speak under an authority that had been given to them by God on behalf of God. And they would say, this is what God says. Remember what the Lord said. 
But now they have Jesus, who's not quoting other rabbis, who is saying to them, I say, I tell you. And he's speaking to them with an authority that is unique, and it's an authority that he alone possesses because it's an authority God has given him as God in flesh. He is the living word of God, and therefore, when he speaks, this is God's word. I say to you what Jesus would say. And this leaves them astonished. One commentator I read said it this way. Jesus needed no other authorities to support him. He was not a delegated authority. He was authority incarnate. Authority incarnate. And this astonishes them. And so when they hear the words of Jesus, they are hearing the word of God. And then they are faced with the question that we're faced with today. Will they submit themselves to this word? Will they submit themselves to this authority? Friends, how, how do you respond to the word? How do you respond to the, the word of Christ in your life? Do, do you take it as a, as a suggestion do you receive it as, well, it's probably a good opinion. I, I probably should listen to that among many other opinions. Or do you come to God's word as the supreme and ultimate authority in your life? And when God's word runs head on with your sin and my sin, how do we then respond to that authority? Do we, do we try to negotiate do we try to kind of explain away our sin? Do we try to see ourselves as some exemption clause that isn't there? Or do we submit ourselves to the authority of Christ and his work? Now that's the question that people in the synagogue were faced with. That's the question we're faced with. How, how do we respond to the authority of God's work? Our kids are, for the most part, grown now. We the four, out of the four, we have one still in the house. But when they were all little and they were showing their rebellion by not wanting to sit at the table, we, we had a, an expression that we taught them about uh, obedience, about listening to their mother and their father. And it was that you need to obey right away, all the way with a happy heart. And so they would say it over, we would say it over and over again. They, they know it now. Obey right away, all the way with a happy heart. Because we know their tendency was our tendency. It was to kind of obey when we finally got around to doing it. No, you need to obey now. When, when God says something, you need to do what he says now, not later. Obey right away. And we need full obedience because partial obedience is disobedience. Well, we don't negotiate with God. And we don't say, well, God, I'll, I'll come maybe 80% of the way. No, we, we have to obey God all the way. And God even shows us in his word that, that with obedience, there comes joy, there, there's delight. Well, we read this over and over again in the Psalms, this, this delight in obeying God's word. And God calls us to do this, to obey right away and all the way and with a, a happy, a, a joyful heart. Friends, does that describe, describe your obedience today, my obedience today? When it comes to God's commands, when it comes to the word of Christ, do we submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus right away, 
all the way to the happy and joyful heart? It's a question for us to consider as we see God's clear authority here that Jesus has. And we see that authority continue. Point two that you see there in your outline, Jesus cast out demons with authority. He cast out demons with authority. We continue in the passage now, and we see this, that Luke tells us that in the synagogue there was a man. He had the spirit of an unclean demon, and at some point, and Jesus is preaching and teaching, we see that this man then cries out, this, this demon within him is crying out, Ha! Huh, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? This demon then says, I, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now this is the, the first time we encounter a demon possession in Luke's Gospel, so... I want to make sure we understand what's taking place here because when it comes to uh, demonic activity, when it comes to demons and unclean spirits, there, there's all types of superstition. There's all types of misunderstandings. And that's not new. That's been around for a long time. And in fact, in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, the people believed that the, the, the spiritual realm was so thick and heavily populated with unclean spirits. They believed that these unclean spirits were always trying to find a way into people. And so they believed, for example, that a, that a demon or unclean spirit could, could enter into someone just based on food that they ate. There were all types of superstitions. The Egyptians believed that there were 36 different parts of the human body and any of them could be entered and controlled by one of these evil spirits. And so they believed, for example, that, that any illness was because of a demon. So if you were deaf, you had the, the demon of deafness. If you were sick, you had some type of demon of sickness. If you had a fever, you had the demon of a fever. And so, for example, they would look at the rebellious child who won't sit at the dinner table and they would say, well, it's real clear what's happened here. <laughs> this young child has the, the demon of rebellion. Probably came in through something they ate, like boiled cabbage, pimento cheese, all these nasty things. Somehow it had come into him, and so now this, this demon needs to be cast out so this child won't be rebellious anymore. And friends, I'll remind you this morning, our, our problem is not that we have a demon of rebellion. Our problem is that we have a sinful nature of rebellion. And it doesn't enter into us through what we eat. It comes to us through our Father Adam. It is something that you and I are born with. That this sin nature, this, this nature of rebellion. And we read it this way in Romans chapter 10. Because of this rebellion we have, this sinful nature, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And this is not because this demonic realm has infiltrated your life and in my life in such a way. What this is because of is because we're all born with the sin nature. 
And therefore, we don't look at, at every act of rebellion, of every manifestation of sickness or issues in our life and say, well, that must be the devil and that must be a demon. We don't need to point the finger out there. We can clearly point it in here. We can point the finger at our sin, at that rebellion, at our sin nature. We can point the finger at that, that sickness and disease all the way back to the fall when everything in creation was corrupted. And at the same time, we have to recognize that there is a demonic realm. That there is demonic activity. That there is demonic possession. Exhibit A, Luke chapter 4. Because this is not a spirit of rebellion and a man in the synagogue who just isn't going to submit himself to the authority of Jesus and is going to cry out in the middle of his sermon. No, Luke tells us clearly what's happening here, that in the synagogue, this man was possessed by a demon. Now, there's lots of things Luke doesn't tell us that I'm curious about. Now, remember again that the context here, this, this isn't out on the streets. This is in the synagogue. This is at a worship service. This is on the Sabbath. I wonder how many times this man, possessed by a demon, had been there as part of this worship service. Now, I wonder what had taken place up to this point. Had he just walked in mid-service or had he been there all along? Had he been reading and singing the songs? Had he been reciting the prayers? Well, we don't know the background. We don't know much about this man, but we know that at some point, as the clear authority of Jesus Christ is being presented to the people in the temple, this demon within him cries out. But this demon within him clearly understands who Jesus is and clearly sees the authority Jesus has. And you think about this in light of what happened just earlier in this chapter where you've got Satan looking to Jesus and saying, if you're the Son of God. There's no if now. This demon cries out, you are the Holy One of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Because what we clearly see, friends, in God's Word is that the demons know who Jesus is. In fact, the demons know lots of things. They know a lot about God. They know, for example, according to James chapter 2, about the nature of God better than many of us do. James writes it this way, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shut. They, they see this authority. In fact, the demons know that God will use this authority to bring judgment on them. We read about this judgment in Jude 5 and 6. We see a clear picture of this in this passage and in others where the demons in response to Jesus want to know if their time of judgment has come. Are you here to destroy us? In other words, are, are you here, Jesus, now to bring judgment on the demonic realm? Because they understand his authority and that he indeed will bring judgment. But not yet. And yet they know that time is coming. They know their time is limited. Even Satan himself knows this according to Revelation 12. The devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. And so the demon here, the demons here seem to understand clearly who Jesus is and the 
authority that he has. And notice how Jesus then, with his authority, commands this demon. And the demon does what he says. Verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. <coughs> and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirit, and they come out. And notice again that the people here are amazed at the authority of the demon. And it's not just because Jesus is casting out demons. It's the way Jesus is casting out demons because in their day and in their age, there were all kinds of people who said they had the power to cast out demons. Charlatans, the scam artists, even those who were likely influenced by the same demonic forces that were influencing the ones that they said they could help. The people who would prey on the weak, people who would profit from this practice and say, well, well, bring your oppressed person to me and, and I'll cast out this wicked spirit. And they'd have all types of fanfare and all types of ways of doing this. I've read accounts about those who would take the person who they believed to be oppressed by a demon, they would do all types of incantations over them, and then they would put a bowl or a, a basin of water there in front of them. And after chanting and chanting and chanting, they would, they would smack the water, it would splash, and they would say, look, the demon just came out, you're healed. Now, there are all types of ways that people would go about this. And there was actually a, a plant known as a, a barus plant that they believe had a, a magical root. In reality, it had a poisonous root. It had all types of ill effects, could even cause death. And so... Some would take the, the person they believed to be oppressed and they would ask them to bring an animal. They would tie that animal to this plant. They, they then would see as the animal would struggle, it would pull the plant out of the ground, come in contact with this root. The animal then would get sick, at times it would convulse, at times it would even die. And they would say, there, your, your demon went into that animal and now you're set free. And now in comes Jesus. To the synagogue, teaching with authority given by God, because He is God. And one cries out before Him, who is clearly possessed by a demon and unclean spirit. Jesus doesn't say, "Well, if you have enough faith, I'll cast this demon out." Jesus doesn't say, if you, if you give me enough money, I'll cast this demon out. Jesus doesn't go through all the spectacle and all the fanfare. He just says, come out. And the demon submits itself to the authority of Jesus. The demon comes out. Because Jesus has full authority. We see his authority here in his preaching, his teaching. We see his authority over the demonic realm. And then third, Luke shows us that Jesus has authority over sickness. And now point three, he, he healed the sick with authority. And so Jesus leaves the synagogue. He enters into Simon's house. This is Simon Peter. And it seems that Simon's mother-in-law is ill. Luke, remember, is the doctor. He uses medical terminology here. He says that she was ill with a high fever. The, the, the translation of this is 
closer to she was captured by or, or held by a, a major fever. It was a, a medical way in Luke's day of referring to sickness. Of course, they didn't know everything we know medically about fevers and where fevers came from, that the fever was a sign of another sickness. They thought the fever itself was the sickness, and so they referred to minor fevers and major fevers because major fevers were fevers that led to death. That they were fevers that they believed killed people. Though it's probably some other sickness, disease, infection, killing them, that they saw this major fever to cause the death. And so the, the picture here of Simon's mother-in-law is that she is gripped with a major fever. The, the word fever, even in the Greek, can be translated fire. You could literally translate this that, that he sees Peter's mother-in-law and that she is burning up with sickness. They appealed to Jesus, and notice what Luke tells us. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. And I mentioned already there were those in ancient times who believed that every sickness was a demon. Friends, there are those in our day that believe every sickness is a demon as well. They look at passages like this, and they say, well, look, Jesus clearly, he, he rebukes a demon, and then he rebukes the fever. This must be the, the demon of sickness. And so you'll, you'll hear people, teachers, talk this way. You're sick? Well, you, you just need to rebuke that sickness in the name of Jesus. You don't have COVID. You've got the demon of COVID. You don't have cancer. You have the demon of cancer. I didn't have a kidney disease or have a kidney disease. I've got the demon of kidney disease. Probably because I tried boiled cabbage. <laughs> That they speak of this sickness. People in ancient times spoke of these sicknesses. As if they're some type of demonic thing. And yet, there, there's no indication of that here. In fact, it's a misunderstanding even of what the word rebuke means. We can clearly see in Luke's gospel that Jesus rebukes all kinds of things. Not just demons. He rebukes the demon. He also rebukes the fever. Later we'll see him rebuke the wind. And nobody's claiming the wind is a demon. Maybe if it tears your barn up, you think that, but it's it's the wind, it's nature, and, and Jesus is one with authority. He is one who commands nature. He commands sickness. He commands demons, and everyone and everything understands this. And yet you and I seem to struggle so much with that Jesus has absolute and complete authority. And we see that authority here. It's he has authority over sickness and health. And, and he commands this sickness to be gone. And notice how quickly it is. There's no recovery time. There's no instructions for Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Now, now your fever's gone, but you're going to want to stay in bed for a few days. Make sure you drink plenty of fluids. You can't drive for 24 hours. Don't make any major decisions. None of that. In fact, what does Luke tell us? Immediately, immediately, she rose and began to serve him. It was as if she never was dying. She goes from the deathbed to immediately as if she was never dying. Why? Because Jesus has authority and we see that authority. Well, there's, there's 
more questions that come up in this text than I've given answers for today. Questions about demons and possession, questions about sickness and healing, and, and I will try my best to get to those because this isn't the only time in Luke's gospel when we see accounts like this. We will have other opportunities to discuss those things, but for now, I want to make sure we, we see the point that I believe Luke is making here. Because as he continues and wraps up this chapter, we see that, that Jesus, he, he goes and he prays, but before going and praying, he, all these sick people come to him and he heals them. He touches them all, Luke tells us. All types of demon-oppressed, demon-possessed people come. He casts them all out. But, but then he goes to this desolate place and he's praying, and, and more people are coming to him, and, and more people are wanting healing, and they're wanting him to exercise more demons. But notice what Jesus says here. Don't, don't miss this. Verse 43, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Now, this authority that's on display here, this authority over the demonic realm, this, this authority over sickness, that this authority is a way of helping people to understand that Jesus indeed is the Messiah. And what has the Messiah come to do? Principally, foundationally, it wasn't just to heal people. Principally and foundationally, it wasn't just to cast out demons. It was to preach the kingdom. It was to inaugurate the kingdom. It is the, the undoing of the fall. And what we see here is the authority Jesus has to do all these things because he is the Messiah and he is the one who has come to seek and save the lost. And so friends, the good news of the gospel today is if your trust is in Jesus, you don't need to worry about sickness. Not because your sickness is going to go away in a moment, immediately you're going to jump up and it's going to be as if you were never sick. But because one day your sickness is going to be gone and you're going to jump up as if you were never sick in a new heaven and a new earth. One day every disease will be cured. One day every person will be healed in a new heaven and a new earth that is established with the ministry, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. That's the gospel he came to proclaim. Wickedness, demonic activity, it may, be see, it may seem in our day and age we see these things running rampant, but one day the final word and the final command will be given and it'll be done. It'll be extinguished. We won't be wrestling with sin anymore. We'll be in a kingdom God has established and Christ will reign and rule. And today, on this day, what God calls us to do is to submit ourselves to the one who will rule and reign over that kingdom. Now, here on earth, to trust in Jesus and follow it may be this morning that on the outside, it looks like you and I are doing that. But there's what's going on in the inside. Because on the outside, we can conform all day long, but the question is, what's going on in your heart and in my heart today? And if we find the rebellious nature in us that says, well, I'll do this on the outside, but on the inside, I'm not going to trust you, God. I'm not going to submit my life to you. 
And the call today is for us to turn from that rebelliousness and to trust in our Lord. So we're going to do that in just a moment as we offer a time of response. One of the ways we respond is through singing about the great truths of God's Word. And we're going to we're going to sing about the work of the gospel in just a moment. But I want us to consider some of the words we're about to sing. We're going to sing this. Great Reformation hymn. A mighty fortress is our God. Which in part says this. And though this world with devils fill. To threaten to undo us. We will not fear. For God hath will. His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go in this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Friends, a mighty fortress indeed is our God. Let me pray for us and then we'll stand together and sing. Father God.